Welcome to The Word Encounter, episode 162. Today we'll start in the book of Daniel. Uh, in the book of Daniel, Daniel, the prophet Daniel, is assumed to be the author. Now lately, and I say lately, I don't know how many years, the last two, three, four, five decades or whatever, I would say modern uh, scriptural critics uh, would say, would believe that probably the book was not written by Daniel. Now, why do they claim this? They claim this is basically, or, or their claims are basically based on one thing. And that basis is that they don't believe that somebody can write about something before it happens, that they have to have written about it after it has taken place. And so that would make sense, right? Is that how can somebody write about something before it happens? Well, if one doesn't believe that the Lord is capable of, of uh, delivering his prophetic word to his people about future events, then it would stand the reason that the author of this book would have to have been somebody who has uh, who lived after the events uh, in this uh, particular book are told about so that they can write a, uh, essentially a historical account. Um, but if one does believe that the Lord has the ability to deliver a prophetic word to his people, then it is entirely possible that he has uh, told Daniel and his other prophets and oracles about things that are to come. And so they wrote about them, they authored them, and then they in fact came to pass. Now, I happen to believe that account. I happen to believe the traditional account uh, that the, the, the prophets wrote about things <clears throat> before they happened. And so therefore, they are in fact the authors, not somebody who has written in their name after the events took place in order to um, uh, validate uh, the prophetic word of the Lord. So I believe that Daniel is authoring his own book. And he, in fact, did write about things that did not happen in his time, nor did they happen in his lifetime, as a matter of fact. But they did come to pass because he was delivered a prophetic word of the Lord. Uh, historically, this book takes place um, uh, about 600 you know, B.C., somewhere around there. And over a roughly a 20-year period, uh, we see that the Babylonians had seized Judah three times, you know, from about 605 uh, B.C. to about 586-87 B.C., somewhere around there. So there are three different seizures that uh, Babylon executed against Judah. And so with that background, let's get started. <clears throat> in chapter 1, the title says, Daniel's Captivity in Babylon. And the word says, In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him, uh, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. Vessels are articles, you know, things like cups or tables or whatever, things that were in the, uh, in the temple, in the sanctuary. Uh, the Babylonians carted some of those articles off as spoils of war back to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon to the house of his God. He put the vessels in the treasury of his God. In verse 3, the king ordered, um, let's see, uh, Ashpenaz, <laughs> the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from nobility. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar asked his chief eunuch to bring some of the royal men, you know, from royalty and nobility uh, to him. And it says in verse four, young men without any physical de uh, defect, good looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledge, um, uh, perceptive and capable of serving in the king's palace. 
See, so they were looking for young men. These were probably, you know, teenagers or young, you know, young twenties, young adults, if you will, and they were looking for them to serve in the king's court and basically uh, to re-educate them, and so that they were suitable to serve in the court. Then it says. Um, he was to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. In other words, re-educate, re, I'm going to make up a word, reculturalize, you know, <laughs> and so to change their orientation from where they came from to where they are. Then it says in verse five, the king assigned them daily provisions from the uh, royal food and from the wine that he drank. And so from, they would get their provisions, these young men uh, uh, that were identified, they would get their food and drink you know, that the king ate. So they were essentially being elevated amongst all the other people. Uh, they were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to attend to the king. And it says in verse 6, Among them from the Judahites uh, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. In verse 7, the chief unit gave them names. The chief unit gave them names. He gave the name of uh, Belteshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and um, Abednego to Azariah. Remember, when you, when you name something, you're demonstrating your power or mastery over that thing. And so he re the chief eunuch renames them. And so he, he's, he's demonstrating that these are ours. These people are ours because I have the ability to rename them. And so... In verse 8, the section title says, uh, Faithfulness in Babylon. Then it says, Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. God had granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. Yet he said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and drink. What if he sees your faces looking thinner than the other young men your age? You would endanger my life with the king. So the chief eunuch is, you know, Daniel found favor with him, but the uh, chief, uh, chief eunuch is saying, look, I don't know if you understand what you're asking of me. See, if the king notices something different physically about you, it's going to come down on my head. You know, it says in verse 12, um, please test your servant for 10 days. And so uh, this is Daniel talking. Please test your t uh, servant for 10 days. Let us be given, us being Daniel and his boys, um, let us be given vegetables uh, to eat and water to drink. Now, this is where the term Daniel fast comes from. And so uh, sometimes when the fast is, is called for uh, in the church, people will execute a Daniel fast, meaning they'll only drink water and eat, eat vegetables, and that's it. Verse 13. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what, what you see. And so Daniel said, look, take me, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we're just going to eat vegetables and drink water. That's it. And then at the end of 10 days, I want you to examine our physical appearance with those of the other men who were selected and see if there's a difference. You know, And if there is, then I don't know. <laughs> It says, the chief eunuch, he agreed with them about this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. 
you know, so this is, like I said, the basis for Daniel fast or the basis for a diet, if you will. Uh, so the guard continued to remove their food and the wine uh, they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So therefore, everybody else got the king's food, but they were continued. Um, uh, they, they continued getting their vegetables and, and water. Next section says faithfulness rewarded. And oh, let me go back to here. And so why might not Daniel have wanted to eat the, uh, eat the king's food and he considered it that he might uh, defile himself? Remember that uh, back in Exodus and in, in Leviticus, we had the dietary laws, if you will, with regard to what was clean and what was unclean, what the Israelites could eat and what they couldn't eat. And so Daniel wanted to observe this. So apparently some of the items on the king's menu were going to be in violation to this. Now, even though there were, um, uh, you know, decades and decades and, and, and decades, centuries, I should say, of, um, of evil Israelite behavior, the Israelites not observing uh, the statutes and tenets of the Lord and whatnot, apparently Daniel was not one of them. Because remember, there was always a remnant that did follow the, the, the ways of the Lord. And so Daniel wanted to con, uh, continue to follow his ways, even though he was in Babylon, even though he was amongst the different people. He still wanted to follow the ways of the Lord. And so <clears throat> faithfulness rewarded in verse 17. God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. See, so God was pouring out on them. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. At the end of the time that the king is said uh, to present them, the chief eunuch presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them, and, and among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Nobody was found to be their equal out of all the other young men. So they began to attend to the king. We just see God's favor being poured out. In every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them 10 times better than all the uh, magicians and mediums in his entire kingdom. And so he found them to be full of wisdom and full of knowledge and full of information, right? This is all coming from the Lord. <clears throat> and it says in verse 21, Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And so this is telling us that Daniel was there for about 70 years because he, he persisted in Babylon through about four different kings. And so uh, let's go on to chapter two. It says Nebuchadnezzar's dream. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams that troubled him and sleep deserted him. So the king gave orders uh, to summon the magicians, uh, mediums, sorcerers, and Chaldeans to tell the king about his dreams. When they came and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream and am anxious to understand it. The Chaldeans spoke to the king. May the king live forever. Tell your servants to dream and we will give the interpretation. Right? Sounds reasonable. That's probably what I would do. But the king replied to the Chaldeans, my word is final. If you don't tell me the dream and its interpretation, you will be uh, torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a garbage dump. So the king is telling them, he said, if you don't tell me, <laughs> if you don't tell me not only the interpretation of my dream, right, but you got to tell me my dream itself. So I want you to tell me what I dreamt, what I dreamt, and then I want you to tell me what it means. So he's not giving them any indication about anything. And he's telling them, if you don't do this, I'm going to tear you from limb to limb. 
In verse 7, he says, they answered a second time. May the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will make known the interpretation. And so they're reiterating, look, king, tell us what the dream is so we can interpret it. The king replied, uh, I know for certain you are trying to gain some time because you have uh, because you see that my word is final. So the king is, is essentially accusing them of stalling. You know, you're just, you're just, why are you waiting? Tell me. Tell me what I want to know. Come on. I want to know. Tell me. And they're saying, well, tell me the dream so I can interpret it. He says, no, tell me the dream and interpret it. And so we have, we have a blockage here. It says in verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king, no one on earth can make known what the king requests. Consequently, no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked anything like this of any magician, medium, or Chaldean. So they king, nobody's ever asked for anything like this. You know, if they've asked to interpret something, they've told us what they want interpreted, but you're not telling us anything. In verse 11, he says, what the king is asking for is so difficult that no one can make it known to him except the gods. Those dwelling is not, you know, those, oh, oh, excuse me, whose dwelling is not with mortals. He said, what you're asking is impossible for mere mortal men. Only the gods can can answer what you're after, king. In verse 12, because of this, the king became became angry. Uh, became, uh, the king became violently angry and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. He said, execute them all, kill them all. They can't, they, they are of no use to me, kill them all. In verse 13, the, the, uh, the decree was issued that the wise men were to be executed and they searched for Daniel and his friends to execute them. Verse 17, then Daniel went to his house and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, urging them to, so he, now he's going to urge them to pray. He says he's urging them to ask the God of their heavens, uh, God of the he heavens for mercy concerning this mystery. So Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the Babylon, with the rest of Babylonians, wise men, Babylon, bah, with the rest of Babylon's wise men. And so he said, look, we got to hit the, we got to hit our knees, man. We got to start praying. We got to start praying hard for God to reveal this stuff to us so we won't be executed like these other guys. It says the mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night. And Daniel praised the God of the heaven and declared, uh, may the name of God be praised forever and ever for wisdom and power belong to him. It says in verse 22, he reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows uh, what is in the darkness and light dwells within him. So we see that the Lord answered Daniel's uh, prayer, not only Daniel, but he answered Daniel and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He, he answered their prayer and he gave, he revealed the dream to Daniel. And we see Daniel's immediate response. And I think there's a lesson here. His immediate response was to praise God. His immediate response was to praise God and to declare who God is. And so he said he is the revealer of the deep and the hidden things. Right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. So he didn't take credit for himself or anything. He says, thank you, God. And it says in verse 24, therefore, Daniel went to Arioch. Uh, whom the king had assigned to destroy the wise men of Babylon. So Ariok was the guy that got the assignment from the king to go destroy all the wise men in Babylon. And so Daniel went to him. Uh, he came and said to him, don't destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king and I will give him uh, the interpretation. Now notice here, Daniel said, don't destroy the wise men of ba Babylon. He didn't say, don't destroy me and my partners. See, he, he extended his umbrella. He said, don't destroy the wise men of Babylon, even though they weren't wise men. 
<laughs> because they weren't consulting of the Lord. They were consulting of, idol, of idols and, and other things. But Daniel, in his compassion, said, don't destroy the wise men of Babylon. I, I, can, I can handle this. Verse 26, the king said um, in reply to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, so again, he renamed him, are you able to tell me the dream I had in its interpretation? Daniel answered the king, no wise man, medium, magician, or diviner uh, is able to make known to the king the mystery he asks about. Hmm, that doesn't sound good initially. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. So Daniel is telling the king, look, no man can do what you're asking for. However, there is a God in heaven who can. And he has let King Nebuchadnezzar know that uh, what will happen in the last days. And so <clears throat> Daniel is telling the king, no man can do this, but my God can. And he has let you know what will happen in the last days. That's what your dream was about. He says, your dream and the visions that came to your mind as you lay in bed were these. He says, your majesty, while you were in your bed, thoughts came to your mind about what will happen in the future. So now Daniel is telling the king what he dreamt about, right? There was a two-part thing. Tell me what I dreamt about and then tell me what it means. And so Daniel is telling him the thoughts that you had in your mind are about what will happen in the future. That's what you dreamt about. The revealer of mysteries has let you know what will happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but in order that the interpretation might be made known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. And so Daniel saying, look, I'm not trying to take credit for any of this. This ain't me, okay? I'm just letting you know what the deal is. This is coming from my God. The next section says the dream's interpretation. Verse 31, your majesty, as you were watching, suddenly a colossal statue, a statue appeared. So now uh, um, Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar what he dreamt, what he dreamed about. The statue, tall and dazzling, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was terrifying. The head of the statue was, pr was pure gold. You know, his chest and arms were silver. And then he goes on and he starts giving details in the following verses with regard to Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And so as he's going through this, Nebuchadnezzar's realizing, yeah, this dude is right on. <clears throat> and so in verse 36, he says, uh, you know, that was the dream. I just told you about your dream, your details. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. And so he's going to go on and interpret. And he says in verse 38, it says, you are the head of gold. So remember, he says, in your dream is great big statue. Uh, your head was gold, chest was silver. And he says, you are the head of gold. See? And then we go on to verse 39. And it says, after you, um, there will arise another kingdom inferior to yours. And then another a third kingdom of bronze, which will rule the whole earth. So he's telling him that after you uh, will be a kingdom, and then after that will be another kingdom. And what we know is that this, uh, this first kingdom after Nebuchadnezzar will be the Medo-Persian kingdom. And then that will rule for a few hundred years. And then after that, the third kingdom will be the Grecian kingdom led by Alexander the Great. And so that will be the next kingdom. And then it says, verse 40, a fourth kingdom will be as strong as iron, for iron crushes and shatters everything. And like iron that smashes, it will crush and smash all the others. And that fourth kingdom is the Roman Empire. 
<laughs> and so we have three empires after Nebuchadnezzar, after the Babylonian uh, Empire. We have the Medo Persian Empire, we have the Grecian Empire, and we have the Roman Empire. And so this was all in his dream, and uh, Daniel is interpreting that, green, uh, that dream for him. And in the Roman Empire, that lasts a good 600, 700 years or so. In that empire is where we find uh, that Jesus makes his entry. But anyway, I get ahead of myself. And so uh, in verse 44, it says, um, In the days of those kings, the God of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And this kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but, it, uh, but will itself endure forever. And so this is talking about Jesus. So uh, under the fourth kingdom, under the Roman kingdom, Jesus will make his entry and he will be uh, create a kingdom that will endure forever and crush all other kingdoms. <clears throat> and then it says, uh, the great God has told the king what will happen in the future. The dream is certain and its interpretation is reliable. Nebuchadnezzar's response. Uh, the king Nebuchadnezzar fell face down, worshiped Daniel. <laughs> Man isn't to be worshiped. And gave orders to present an offering and incense to him. The king said to Daniel, your God is indeed God of gods, Lord, uh, Lord of kings, and revealer of mysteries. Since you were able to reveal this mystery, then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many generous gifts. He made him ruler over uh, the entire province of Babylon and chief governor over all wise men of Babylon. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, to manage the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. <clears throat> and so let's go on to chapter three. And it says here, Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet high and nine feet wide. Nebuchadnezzar um, sent word to the assembly, uh, the satraps, uh, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the ru rulers of the provinces to attend the dedication of the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so maybe in Daniel's interpretation, when Daniel told him that you are the head, you are the pure gold, Nebuchadnezzar is thinking, okay, I'm going to build a gold statue of my stuff, you know, so maybe that was the way he interpreted it. Then it says in verse four, a herald loudly proclaimed people of every nation and language. You are, to, you are commanded when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And so he built the statue, says whenever you hear music, everybody is to fall face down and worship the ghost statue. That was the rule. The furnace of blazing fire. Verse eight, some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. They looked this as an opportunity to get back at their enemies. Uh, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. You as king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. There are some Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, these men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Verse 13, then in a furious rage, remember, whenever you're in a state of rage, you don't think clearly. 
It says, when in furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked him, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I've set up? Now remember, uh, Daniel had just uh, revealed to him this dream from the, from the God, from the only true God, yet Nebuchadnezzar is going back to his gods. And he says, you're not worshiping me. In verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. So we don't need to answer you, because if our God exists, nothing you can do is going to harm us. But then they go on to say this in verse 18, but even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. He says, even if he doesn't rescue us, we are not going to turn our back on our God. We are not going to do something uh, that he is opposed to, that he is against. So do to us whatever you want to. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage. And the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave orders uh, to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary. So he wanted to make sure they got burned. Uh, since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who were carrying up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was so hot that outside the furnace, men were, were burning up. It says in verse 23, And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, fell bound um, into the furnace of blazing fire. Next section says, delivered from the fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar drunk, uh, jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He exclaimed, look, I see four men not tied walking around in the flame unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, he sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. And so he says he rescued his servants who trusted in him. So they did not give in to, to, to what uh, King Nebuchadnezzar uh, wanted them to do because they trusted in their God. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I issue a decree that any um, anyone of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his house made a garbage dump. There, um, for there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. This is Nebuchadnezzar talking. Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So remember, the Lord had called Nebuchadnezzar, my servant Nebuchadnezzar, right, when he was seizing Jerusalem. And so it's, it's apparent that Nebuchadnezzar has some kind of relationship with the God of Israel, you know. And so we see his heart, like he gets angry and he, pride creeps in and then he comes back. And so, you know, he's, he's a lot like many people, right? We're, we're not stable all the time. Sometimes we, we go back and forth. And so with that, we're done for today. We're going to pick it up in uh, chapter four tomorrow. And, uh, uh, and remember, 
the case that Jesus makes with regard, um, or I should say the offer that he makes uh, for us to acknowledge who he is and in so doing what is available to us. See, we have the opportunity at everlasting life. And the word says, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, and if we do these things sincerely, that Jesus is Lord, that we will be saved. Consider that if you haven't already done so. With that, we'll pick it up tomorrow. Uh, episode, what did that be? 163. Everybody uh, stay safe, take care, and be blessed. Bye-bye.